Okay, everyone, I want to share with you an interesting idea on the parsha, um, And I, w- I would like to share with you, in the guise of a story, actually, I was not able to uh, be here for the Wednesday morning share this week because I had the great privilege to uh, go to Montreal to speak on behalf of Yeshiva G'doyla Montreal, really a beautiful Yeshiva, very Chashiva Talmidim and Rabbeim. And it was a magnificent dinner. And the highlight of the dinner was the special singer, Avram Fried, sang at the dinner. And I just loved it. I loved his singing. And when I was in the airport, sure enough, I saw someone. I said, is that Avram Fried? And yeah, it was. He was on my flight. And then I didn't see him. And then we were waiting online together to get onto the plane. So he came, he uh, turned around and he asked me a question on the Parsha. So I'll share with you his question and I'd like to share uh, my humble answer. He asked as follows. We know that Sefer Bamidbar begins in the second month, in the month of Iyar. The Sefer begins So the book of Bamidbar begins in Chodesh Iyar. And... Interestingly, Parshas Bahaloischa, we have the story of the Pesach Sheni, and it sort of goes backwards. It's, uh, the Pasuk says, What's going on? Here we are, two Parshas later, and we've advanced a month. We're not progressing. Rashi says, the parish in the beginning of the book was not said until here. From here we see the Torah is not written in chronological order. So then why don't why doesn't the book begin with the halacha of Pesach Sheni, which was taught on Pesach Rishon? Says Rashi, because it's the disparagement of the Jewish people. Because all 40 years that the Jewish people were in the Midbar, they only brought this carbon Pesach. Now, I'm not yet up to Avram Fried's question. I want to share with you a chiddush that sort of just occurred to me. Rashi says that we don't want to begin the book that with the Mitzvah Karm Pesach because the only carbon Pesach that were brought in 40 years was in year two. Now, it's very important in the world of Rashi. By the way, if anybody wants to come with us to visit Rashi's Kever in France, on Rashi's yard site, for the very first time, you could join our trip. One of Rashi's main themes in Chumash is that the books of the Chumash always open up with the endearment of the Jewish people. Bereshus, how does Bereshus begin? <clears throat> Bereshus begins, Bishvil Yisrael, Shanikraresius, that God created the world for the sake of the Jewish people, are called Rashis. How does Rashi begin, say for Shemais? Rashi begins, Shemais, that why is Hashem counting Klal Yisrael? He already counted them in Vayigash. Ah, oh, because he loves Klal Yisrael so much. Therefore, um, Hashem is constantly counting us. And how does Rashi begin, Vayikra? Vayikra, Hashem called to Moshe, Lashon Chiba, a Lashon of endearment. 
How does Rashi begin Bamidbar? Rashi begins Bamidbar. That the same idea. Vayedaber Bamidbar Sinai. Because Hashem loves us, He's always counting us. And Devarim, Rashi says that Moshe Rabbeinu did not reprimand us outright because of, uh, to protect the honor of the Jewish people. So it's very important, Rabbi Sai, to begin a sefer with the endearment of the students. And that's how Rashi begins every one of the five books of the Chumash. And this is a very important lesson to every teacher, Rebbe, parent, that the opening message you have to give your students is that they are important to you and that you love them. And then you could proceed and then you could continue to teach. But without that intro, you cannot teach. That's what Rabbeinu Yoyna says. The first Pesach in Avoidas Hashem is to recognize your value and how much HaKadosh Baruch Hu loved your ancestors and your parents and your grandparents and Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov because that's the first step in Avoidas Hashem. How important you are. How beloved you are to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And this Rashi in Baha is continuing in that theme, that we cannot begin Sefer Bamidbar with the subject of Karim Pesach, even though that happened first, because it's disparaging to Klal Yisrael, because Klal Yisrael only fulfilled one Karim Pesach in 40 years. So Avram Fried asked the following question. I think his full name is Avraham Shapsi Hakoyen Friedman. That why is this the Gnos of Klal Yisrael? That they only brought one Karim Pesach in 40 years? Why do you think they only brought one Karim Pesach in 40 years? The reason is because their kids couldn't have a Mila. Why couldn't their kids have a Mila? Because the wind didn't blow. So it's not their fault they didn't bring a Karim Pesach. They weren't allowed to bring a Karim Pesach. They were an Oynes. So it's not, how is that the Gnos of Klal Yisrael? How is that the disparaging for the Jewish people? It's not disparaging. They couldn't do it. It's not a gnos. It's not an embarrassment. So I saw this morning, the Sifsei Chachamim asked that question. And the Sifsei Chachamim answers, yeah, but why didn't they do Mila? Because the wind didn't. Why didn't the wind blow? Because they sinned. How did they sin? Well, they could have gone into Eretz right away. And they didn't. They complained. And because they complained, they didn't go into Israel. And then they got lost in the desert for 40 years, one chet after another, and that's why, so in other words, at the end, it's true, it wasn't their fault that they couldn't bring the Karim Pesach, but it was, because since they didn't go into Israel right away, and, and therefore they sinned, so that held them up, and then ultimately one thing led to another. So the immediate cause of why didn't they bring a Karim Pesach is annoyingness, is extenuating circumstances, but they, it's their fault that they were brought to that situation. I offered the following humble answer, and this is a, a very important principle. What's the halacha? Are you allowed to wear tzitzis in the Beis HaKvaris? No. You, you're not supposed to have the tzitzis out in the Beis HaKvaris. It's the principle of lo yeglarash. You're mocking the dead. Are you allowed to put on a mess a four-cornered garment without tzitzis? No, you're mocking the mess. So Toysus asks, a very important question. Toysus asks, wait a second, the Gemara Nida says that you're allowed to put shatnas on a mess. Why are you allowed to put shatnas on a mess? 
Because once they die, they become free from mitzvahs. Once they die, they become chafshi mina mitzvahs. So they're not responsible uh, not to wear shatness. So the question is, ask Toysvis, what do you mean? But why is it, what do you mean they become chafshi mina mitzvahs? But at the end of the day, the halacha is, you're, you're not allowed to put a, da, a begot of da'an kanfois on a mess, because you're mocking the mess that he's not putting on tzitzis. So then, why are you allowed to put shotness on the mess? Aren't you mocking the mess that he's allowed to wear shotness? Why are you allowed to put shotness on a mess, and you're not allowed to put a begot of da'an kanfois on a mess? That's the kasha of toysis. And, the Meshachachma gives the following great principle to answer this question. Says the Meshachachma that you know when it's considered mocking a mess? When you mock the mess, hey, we could fulfill mitzvahs, you can't fulfill mitzvahs. Why? But how is it mocking the mess? The mess can't fulfill the mitzvah because he's dead and he has extenuating circumstance. You know, it's very challenging to do mitzvahs when a person's dead. The dead find it very hard to get up and to move around. It could be very challenging to get to accomplish things when you're dead. So, you're, but why, how are you mocking the mess? You're not mocking the mess. It's not his fault. He has extenuating circumstances. The answer is, it doesn't matter why he's not doing the mitzvahs. If at the end of the day, he doesn't have the grand opportunity to acquire perfection and shlemos and wholesomeness, and spiritual elevation, whether it's his fault, whether it's not his fault. Whether he could do something about it, he can't do something about it. It's inherently disparaging. Because even if you have an excuse, even if you're excused for not doing the mitzvah, but at the end of the day, you're losing out. Whether you have a good reason why you're losing out, you don't have a good reason why you're losing out. Imagine, the whole class goes on a class trip. They're going to Niagara Falls. And one kid, he can't go. Why? Because he has to have his tooth pulled. So she said, well, I don't feel bad that I'm not going. I have a good excuse why I'm not going. (laughs) Doesn't matter whether he has a good excuse or a bad excuse. There's no difference if he couldn't go on the trip because he woke up late and it's his fault or because he had to have his tooth pulled. At the end of the day, he lost out. You're losing out. And when you're losing out, it's painful. So you're mocking the mess. But you like to put shotness on a mess because at the end of the day, what is an Avera? An Avera is you doing something wrong. The mess could say, I didn't do anything wrong. It's not my fault. It was a, there's nothing I could do. I couldn't take it off. I'm dead. I can't remove the shotness. So the Meshachachma says there's a big difference between violating a lav and not fulfilling an assay. When you violate a lav, if you're an Oynes, you're excused for, not viola- for violating the lav. But if you have a mitzvah that you could do, it doesn't matter why you can't do it. It could be it's not your fault. But at the end of the day, you couldn't do it. It's like, you know, the guy comes late to, to shear. And the Rebbe says, where were you? He says, I'm not feeling well. I don't feel, I have an, I'm excused. The Rebbe said, okay, you're excused. But you're still going to remain in Amaretz. Nobody ever became a Talmud Chacham with excuses. An excuse can only get you so far. An excuse could excuse a violation But in terms of positive fulfillment, it can never make up what you could have accomplished 
had you actually done it. I'll give you another illustration on this principle from the Gorari and the Maral. We know that Avraham Avinu, Yitzchak Avinu, Yaakov they fulfilled mitzvahs in the Torah even before they were given. Avraham ate matzah, Yaakov sat in the sukkah, they fulfilled all the mitzvahs. And yet, at the same time, we find that there are certain averos that they did not abide by. So Avraham Avinu married a mitzri, and Yaakov married two sisters. And the Maral says as follows, Yaakov married two sisters, who cares? He wasn't commanded not to. Yeah, but later on, later on, the Jews will again not to. Okay, but they weren't commanded yet, so there's no problem at all. So why did they do mitzvahs? Mitzvahs! Because that's shleimus, that's perfection, that's accomplishment. Even if they're not commanded. But what, they're going to lose out what they could have accomplished had they fulfilled those good deeds? So in other words, when it comes to violations... If you're not commanded, so I'm allowed to do it. What's the big deal? But if it comes to Shlemo's perfection, what you could have achieved, even if you're not commanded, the Avay still did not want to be lacking and missing the positive command. So I suggested that the Klal perhaps were excused for only fulfilling the Karm Pesach once in 40 years. However, yeah, they're, they're excused, but it's still a Ganai, it's still disparaging. If at the end of the day, they're lacking in the positive achievement that they could have accomplished had they been makriv the carbon Pesach. So that's why, even though perhaps Klaiso were nenas in not, um, in not bringing the carbon Pesach, but nevertheless, they were still, it was still their genos. And as we mentioned, we always have to start off a sefer with the shavach of Klaiso. And therefore, we cannot start with the subject of carbon Pesach. Okay, I want to bring you to the shear on tefillah. Give me one second.